Everybody loves a good origin story today on Locked on Knicks. I'm joined by Mike Jensen, the longtime columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer to talk about Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, and Dante DiVincenzo when they were Villanova Wildcats and how they helped take the program to new heights. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day because we're now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. So if you want to be an everydayer, remember to subscribe and hit that notification bell on YouTube, and be sure to do the same on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And there's a new way you can join in on all the fun. That is subtext. All you have to do is click the button to subscribe. It is in the link below. Also, the number where you can text us. That's right. You can text me and Alex your latest next take, asking for our thoughts on news. Basically, any inquiry you have for just $5 a month. And I've, I mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. At 500 subscribers, I am going to give away an autographed jersey. Uh, so please be sure to subscribe to us on subtext again the link can be found in the episode description but who's chilling for subs i'm gavin shaw your favorite play-by-play broadcasters favorite play-by-play broadcaster and as mentioned in the intro i'm lucky enough to be joined by mike jensen of the philadelphia inquirer to uh talk through uh the villanova careers of jalen brunson josh hart dante divincenzo we're actually going to start the week on this note we're going to end this week on the note on the same note, and that's what I meant to say, um, and talk all about Dante DiVincenzo's high school career. But this episode is about all three guys and their time as Villanova Wildcats. All right, as promised, I am joined by Michael Jensen, a columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer covering college sports for the last three decades. Mike, thanks so much for joining me. Super excited to talk to you. And and, and you were telling me pre-show a little bit. You, you, you have some Knicks fandom already, so you're, you're fired up and ready to go on this. Yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of nobody at this point as, you know, long into my sports writing career, hmm. but the, the basketball team I was a fan of. That, sorry, that, sorry, some, some, latent, some latent Knicks fandom. But uh, yeah, but, but I, I, there was some serious Knicks fandom. I mean, I grew up, I am I'm 61 years old, which means Clyde Frazier, Willis Reed, Earl Monroe, Dick Barnett, Dave DeBusher, Bill Bradley were, you know, my basketball education uh, growing up around the around New York. So I'm excited to be with you. Let me let me let me skip a few steps here then. I mean, just how excited were you when, when, when as you've seen the Knicks slowly but surely piecing together this golden era of Villanova basketball? Yeah, I mean, very interesting. I mean, again, you're talking to a sports writer. We're jaded. So how excited? I mean, interested. Let's put it that way. Very interested. Okay. I mean, it right. was like it in it. I, I saw the logic of it and I and I wasn't completely shocked when they took uh, people very familiar with this Villanova group and, and put them in charge of, of this, you know, talking about Leon Rose and Wes and, and th- that group. So it was not a complete shock. It was almost waiting for I've written columns about the team in Philadelphia that, that declined to do that time mm. after time after time. Um, so it's it's very interesting to see somebody say, you know, let's let's do this. 
Yeah, the Mikhail Bridges trade uh, was in the news again this week, but we don't have to bring up old pain for Sixers fans. In fact, let's just uh, rewind about a decade. That was when Josh Hart first committed to Villanova. Um, His first season was 2013-14. The previous two years, the Wildcats had gone just 33-33, and which is a pretty clear nadir of the Jay Wright era. Um, I, I know you were telling me a little bit before the show, it was it was more so the previous classes, but how did that group with Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins kind of contribute to getting Villanova back on track? Well, it was it was all huge. And it was I remember sitting in Jay Wright's office right after that uh, low point, as you pointed out. And it, and it, and Jay Wright completely acknowledging what had to change and how it was going to change and what he was going to look for and how after they had made a previous final four with the Kyle Lowry, uh, Randy Foy, Alan Ray group uh, that all of a sudden they were in a different league for recruits, but that didn't work just because higher level recruits wanted Villanova. It wasn't necessarily the right thing for, for Villanova. And it just didn't, didn't quite work. There were, there were many elements to that. And, and, the, the key the year before, Archie Diacono, who obviously was a, was a Nick for a time, Ryan, and, and Daniel Chefu was the class just ahead of Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins and kind of got it back turned. Uh, Josh Hart, very interesting because he showed up and had been, I, I think he was more of an inside player, high school and AAU, and an NBA scout. Uh, long timer who I really respect told me a story about how he said to, he, he went to a Villanova practice Josh's freshman year and said to Jay Wright, he said, Jay, he, he can't really play. And he goes, eh, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. And, and he, he, I mean, he was a classic development story because he had athleticism and IQ that fit into a different role. So I'm not denying that, you know, without Josh Hart, I don't know if it exactly happens, but there, there are about five of those guys in that Villanova era where you could say, you know, I'm not sure, maybe without one of them, but without without Josh, he, he may have been the one before, you know, Brunson came along and also changed things. And, and I, I guess Josh maybe epitomized, to your point, Villanova getting back to its recruiting roots, was not a top 75 guy, was, was just outside of that. But I, I guess on the scale of a national program, w- to your point, wasn't necessarily in the mold of like the type of player like, all right, that guy's going to go to Duke and be there for one year. That guy's going to go to North Carolina and be there for one year. But it, it, and, and correct me if I'm off on this, like I, I'm just imagining a young Josh Hart. He seems like one of those guys who has always played the same way with with vicious energy and enthusiasm and tenacity. Um, is that accurate? Did he come in and, and kind of bring that to Villanova right away, despite the fact that maybe from a skill set perspective, like he wasn't necessarily ready to come in and dominate college basketball from the get go? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right on. And, and the minutes, you know, accumulated where he saw rotation minutes his first year. And then I believe I have this right, if I'm, I'm remembering that his second year, he was like in that six starter role, which a lot of Villanova teams had. Kyle Lowry had it for a year. Mikhail Bridges had it after Hart. Uh, it's continued. DiVincenzo famously had it on a national championship team, but Josh Hart had it where in the role is almost like you're going to uh, the scorer's table, like at the first whistle. I mean, it's that it's almost that quick. Uh, sometimes it is that quick, but it, it was really six starters and they rotate and it doesn't matter. And then you're, you're finishing the game before he became 
you know, the, the dominant player uh, the last two years. And he was a dominant player his, his last two years at Villanova. Um, I, I, I guess before that, those first two years, Villanova certainly turned around as a regular season team. I, I think it was a combined six losses over two seasons before the NCAA tournament. And yet both times, one year to UConn, one year to NC State, they got in, and I believe just, just the second round. What was the feeling around the program at that point in, in terms of what they were missing, what they were lacking, given that, like again, seemingly the personnel was there, and, and yet the results in March weren't? Yeah, let's let's realize there was no hint when they lost to NC State in 2015 that they were about to win two of the next three national championships. In fact, getting over second round hurdles was more a discussion point uh, going on. So it wasn't a realization that something big was about to happen. That just was not the case even. So starting 2016, Brunson comes in just after, I believe it was the U19 World Championships, where he's the starting point guard and the most valuable player on a team that included Jason Tatum, um, a healthy Giles, I believe, Harry Giles. Uh, But it was Brunson's team. So the expectations on Brunson coming in as a a freshman 2015-16 were huge, and yet he's just sort of blended in. I mean, his let's remember in 2016, Brunson – Every NCAA tournament game, he played between like 22, 27 minutes. He was, it was not his team at that point. It was Archie Diakono's team. It was Ryan's team, uh, even though Brunson did start on that team. Uh, Bridges was the sixth man on that team. Josh Hart was the, I, I still think the, the, you know, it's, it's interesting when maybe the MVP of your team is your biggest X factor guy who can, shut down Buddy Heels in a you know national semifinal game, that kind of thing. And then after that year, just to bounce around, Josh Hart went to his coach and said, you know, next year I need to be a 3 and D guy because he was thinking about his future. And his coach was like, no, you don't. He's like, you're going to do it. You're going to be Josh Hart. You're going to be this, this energy guy who's all over the, the fact. And in fact, that, that, that's what he was. They did not win the next year, but he was an All-American then. Um, I, I want to rewind a little bit on on Jalen Brunson uh, coming out of Chicago. He was um, unlike Josh Hart, um, unlike Dante DiVincenzo, a national recruit offers from pretty much everyone. Um, I, I don't know how if he was hardly rec- highly recruited by everyone, but he had offers from everyone. Um, top 35 recruit in the country um, led. I think it was Stevenson High School to a state championship. What do you, um, if anything, like remember about his recruitment and, and how Villanova went out there. And then, I, I mean, I guess maybe spurred on by that Team USA performance, like expectations for him as a freshman and how he was going to be able to fit in. All right, guys, when we come back with Mike, I want to get into how this core took over the roster and uh, kind of made it their own, eventually turning the Wildcats into uh, second-time national champions. But before I do that, I want to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amounts in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200. You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over under to who you think is going to get the first home run All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Yeah, DiVincenzo had already committed to Villanova 
in the past. Uh, you know, there were stuff going on with his dad and Temple, and uh, and you know, y'all can Google that if you don't know it. But uh, you know, th there there was stuff going on, so it looked like he was going to Temple, but then, but Villanova, I think. You know, that's where Jalen Brunson wanted to play basketball. Uh, that, that's what I tell everyone at, at, at Temple. And, and obviously it, it worked out for him, for them. Um, but, uh, you know, at, at that point, and Brunson told a story about how he had talked to DiVincenzo and said, hey, DiVincenzo had already committed to Villanova. And he said, hey, let, let's let's play together. And he's like, yeah, nah, because it was like DiVincenzo at that point was similar. I think he had the ball more. At, at that point as a high school, such a dominant high school player, a very good high school player, you know, the, the Michael Jordan. Of yeah. Delaware. I was going to say Delaware, Michael Jordan. Yeah. 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 The, the big ragu. Yeah. yeah. Right. 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 So, but he quickly realized it was kind of stupid of him to say that, that he, obviously you, you've, you've seen Brunson likes to be around other, other good players, isn't intimidated by having other, other good players, et cetera. So, you know, that, that, that part of it worked. Um, was Brunson from a personality perspective? And I, I'm sure this was something that developed over time, but I, I just remember like this summer, I've been reading a lot about his high school career and how he, I think he dropped like something like 54 points in the state semifinals against Jaleel Okafor. Like, was there that like immediate sense of control with him? And I don't know if that was something that Villanova was missing because obviously Archer Diakono was, was, was kind of a point guard's point guard in some ways, but did you, sense when you were around that first title team like all right this kid is is kind of like I don't know if wise beyond his years mature beyond his years maybe what I'm looking for is composed beyond his years right from the get-go yeah he I mean he was he was all all that but he also was savvy enough to know that this wasn't his team so he did not force those issues I mean, they had all sorts, you know, Phil Booth was playing at the end of the game, the national championship game, not Jalen Brunson. He wasn't on the court at the end. Booth had, uh, I believe, 20 points in, in, in that game. He was, he was on, he was hot. Uh, they, they, they stuck with him at the end. And, and, and there were still defensive issues for Brunson coming in. So the questions about what kind of pro he would be, you know, the, those questions had come in early in, in, college he only played nine minutes in a big east tournament game against seton hall because they were they were picking on him um and they had to take him off the court well obviously he worked his way through those issues completely by being the player he is and has proved you know he can defend at the nba level well he was proving it by sophomore year that he could do it at the college level uh completely and it was really the sophomore year where it became his team. I mean, Hart was the dominant player on the team. Bridges was on the team. DiVincenzo was playing for the first time, but it had become Jalen Brunson's team. You, you you hinted at it earlier, but how did Hart go from, again, like definitive role player as a freshman to All-American, best small forward in the country as a senior? And it seems like, to your point from Jay Wright, the emphasis was kind of doubling down on his strengths. And it, it's, it's so fascinating to hear you say that because now in the prime of his career, I think what six, seven season in the NBA, that's both kind of the, the selling point for him and the drawback for him. When, when, when you look at the Knicks playoff run this year and, and, and you say like, like he, he transformed the Knicks because he did everything he always does so well. And during the regular season, he shot 55% from three 
And then we got to the playoffs and he was a guy who a couple games aside and, and the games he wasn't were, were the best games of the Knicks postseason run. Um, he was he was afraid to shoot open threes. And I, I almost wonder how that goes back to him, like maybe wanting to develop that in college and, and Jay Wright. And certainly it was it was what was best for Villanova. And it, it's honestly it's hard to argue. I mean, a guy who's maybe going to get an 18 million dollar year contract now wasn't ultimately best for Josh Hart. But he, unlike so many guys who had to change their games to be better in college and fit it in the NBA, like it seems like he just doubled down on what made him good in the first place. Yeah, but but I I don't want to overdo that because yeah. he was he was allowed to take take shots. What he was saying, he only wanted to do those things gotcha. and take take away the parts of his game that make him a pro. I mean, we all know that to be a pro, you have to have strengths. You have to have things that you're giving a team and just being, you know, sitting out there and shooting threes wouldn't have been the way for Josh Hart to have the NBA career he's had. Obviously, you, you want a part of the arsenal. I get what you're saying game to game, but I don't think his I don't think you can draw a line from him not shooting a ton of threes uh, his last years at Villanova to his any reluctance in particular games as a, as a Nick. I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to take that too far to be honest with you yeah I I, I hear you and and I I'm, I'm not one to to question Jay Wright who has over and over again taken these guys who are not regarded as NBA prospects and you look at Josh Hart as I just noted with the money like by any metric a successful NBA career and, and the things he does do well like they changed the Knicks season last year uh what was um in his last year what was his role as a leader on that team? What was his relationship like with, with Jalen? And, and if it was there with, with Dante, because it, it's kind of funny, like seeing them interact now, like it, it's so obvious those guys absolutely love each other. Like everyone saw like what became a meme of like Jalen reacting to finding out they got Josh Hart for the first time. Uh, and then like Jalen, like in public, well, like, I, I think someone, I don't know if you saw this, but they were doing like a Twitter, like Q and a with him. And they like asked him like, Oh, like you can hang out with like Josh and Dante this summer is like someone, he was like, stop asking about those guys. I hate those guys. Um, but what was, yeah, what was the, what was the relationship? Like? They're just was, coworkers, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What was, yeah, what was yeah, the yeah, relationship yeah. like in college between them? Yeah. I, I mean, interestingly, they were buttoned up, um, at the podium. Um, so they didn't, what you've seen with Josh Hart, you know, he wasn't eating chicken wings, uh, at the, Wait, at, no, at the uh, no, no, no drinking breast milk in college. As... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, as far as you know. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't know, but he, <laughs> he wasn't, he certainly wasn't talking about it was the point, right. you know, he, so behind the scenes, you got a sense there was actually concern because Archie Diacono and Achefu that had been their team. And what was the leadership structure going to be the next year? Because Josh Hart, as you've seen, is, you know, a free spirit in a very positive way. Uh, and you want that on your team. I think you need that on your team. Um, but as far as like being the, you know, I, I don't know, the, the, the floor general and, and, and all the rest, it, it wasn't going to be him. He, he and Chris Jenkins were easy guys to get along with fun guys to be with. And I think you got that, that sense, but the leadership, it was, it was different. And, you know, again, it comes back into Brunson at that point was now he was the 35 minute starting point guard. So the question was about, about Josh and, and he was the dominant player on that team. Um, 
you know, was, was not on the next national championship team, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, he was, I, I'm not denying your point that with, without Josh Hart, you know, does any of that Villanova stuff happen? And I, I think it's a really good question by, by 2018, it did happen without him. Um, but would even have that happened, um, without him. And, and that second season for Dante, I mean, what was he kind of a forgotten guy because he gets injured early freshman year. I, I don't think he plays after the first Oklahoma game, which was something like eight games into the season. Um, was it, was it just kind of a pleasant surprise for that team? Like, Oh yeah, we forgot. We had, we had Delaware, Michael Jordan and, and he kind of emerged and played a pretty key role down the stretch. And maybe it's forgotten by Wildcat fans, given um, kind of the tragic end of that season against the scalding hot Bronson Koenig and Wisconsin. But um, Dante averaged 18 points per game over those two NCAA tournament games. And, and you could kind of tell like the, the setting was there for him to really emerge in his third year. He, I don't, I don't think he was ever forgotten uh, within Villanova's fan base because of what he came in with, with fanfare. Eric Pascal also sat out the year as a transfer after a very good freshman year at Fordham. Coaching change at Fordham. He was available. He was sitting out that year. I can remember talking to those two guys before they went to the Final Four and just going over to each of them uh, where they had, you know, all the, the – I, I can't remember if it was the entire team – but they certainly had like the top six players around the practice gym at Villanova. And those two guys were there to were available for, to talk to. And you could just go up to them alone and talk to them because, you know, they, they weren't playing yet. DiVincenzo had famously uh, had, had a big role on the final 14 by then he was healthy, but it, it would have been, you know, jumping on a moving train uh, to, to get back into to meaningful minutes. So they did not do that. Um, but what he did, he, he was scout team, buddy healed, uh, before the Oklahoma game. And as you mentioned, you know, they played Oklahoma before and Oklahoma wiped them off the court, um, makeshift court in, in, in Hawaii and, and embarrassed them really. And the replay was going to be interesting. And obviously it swung, it, it was the most dominating. I I've covered the NCAA tournaments for three decades. It was the most dominating surprise that I had ever seen just yeah, Mike you know, you're talking I, to a, a lifelong Oklahoma fan here so I'm yeah yeah well, well, it was painful it was painful well, like, incredible incredible Dante I'm sure will be happy to tell you and those other guys will be happy to tell you about his role in and I mean they basically said scout team Buddy Hill was harder to guard the day before than than real Buddy Hill that day and and that day back to Hart Hart just seemed to pick off every pass that they tried to throw to Buddy Hill uh, he just wasn't giving him any passing lanes. And it just was getting, you know, for you Oklahoma fans, you know, it, it, literally embarrassing, right? Uh, but that was sort of Dante's famous role in that team. But again, he wasn't forgotten. It was more like, okay, you know, it's not just the same old team from the championship. Yeah, they lost Uchefu and and who had a you know, huge national championship game and Archie Diakono, huge that game and so many games. Uh, and or Jeff, who actually was was could have been the MVP of the 2016 NCAA tournament, so they're you know a important factor. But but Dante coming in and Eric Pascal coming in, you know, just immediate X factor you 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 saw uh, in the, the the second season, and then by 2018 there was some 
I remember talking to them. I, I wrote wrote a column. Uh, they I think they they blew out Temple. It, there was sort of uh, an, a good Temple team uh, at Temple, and the, and the column with the gist of it was there was some excitement that this was a different. This was their time. That now this was a Brunson Bridges, DiVincenzo team, Eric Paschal, and they had they had been supporting roles or non-roles on that earlier championship team. And this was their team. And, and, you know, we, and we saw how that played out, obviously. Yeah. And I, I wonder, maybe not because it was a completely new set of guys. Obviously Jay Wright had a, a rightfully a lot of confidence in what he was doing at that point, but was there, there anything like heading into that 2018 season in the program of, Let's prove that national championship wasn't a fluke, given that like around that you have three years where they lose in the second round or, or was that not even in, in, in the discourse at the time? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, who, who doesn't want to, you know, anyone who wants to win a national championship is, you know, you're always going to want to win another one. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine that stuff was even talked about among mm-hmm. themselves about, hey, we got to prove that was that was real. Cause I mean, it was such as, you know, a, a, a moment in their lives and, yeah. you know, and a dominant run that postseason, And then in 2018, it was, it was pretty similar. And I, I guess for Jalen, like what, what switch flipped that junior year where he went from being again, like, I mean, to your point, like maybe it was just the empowerment of it being his team, but he went from being really good college player to national player of the year. Yeah. I, I think it was just, sort of what we're talking about where it be, you know, it was his team sophomore year and he, he was just such an important player that, that sophomore year. Uh, and, you know, the confidence to take the, the, the big shots, um, you know, every, everything Nick fans saw last year uh, was almost a carbon copy of what Villanova fans saw that, that 2018 season. So I'm not sure it was a, was a switch because he had done that stuff at, you know, high, high levels. I mean, again, a world championship team, he was, he was the guy. I think it just became, you know, his maturity. I remember Jay Wright saying his sophomore year, he said, listen, the guy's like 35 years old. The guy's, the guy's calling him after games just to, to go through the game where he, and he was like, we'll see you tomorrow. It's like, no, that wasn't good enough for, for Jalen, he was pressing his own head coach to let, let's talk about this now and, and always something. So, you know, again, evolution more than than flip switch, I guess. Maybe maybe this is getting ahead of it. But did did you foresee his level of NBA success at all? Because if I were to kind of put myself in the shoes of NBA scouts, I and and let me know if if what you knew of it at the time, this was right or wrong. But I, I think probably part of the perception was, all right, this is a guy with clear-cut physical limitations, going to struggle defensively in the NBA, and that's proven out. And is someone that was such an maybe because of like having a former NBA player and coach for a father, and then getting incredible coaching at Villanova, like he was so exceptionally skilled coming into the NBA, and so advanced from that standpoint. How much room does he have to get better? And yet he seemingly defined defied all of that and continue to improve year after year after year. And we, we talk about in this podcast a lot, but there's still a lot of meat on the bone for him. Like he was a 42% three point shooter last year. And that was kind of the first season 
he started taking um, self-created threes. And you, you look at the number of his three-point attempts compared to a lot of his contemporaries, and a lot of guys who score more points per game. Like there's a world where he comes out this season. He's a 30-point-per-game scorer with like a relatively minor tweak to his game. But I can imagine coming out of college, like people didn't see that like there were like levels and levels and levels for him to get to still. Yeah, I, I think everyone, I like anybody else, I knew he was going to be a long-time pro. Like, his only basketball was going to be in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it went from from there, I didn't know for the, for the questions you're bringing up. Um, you know, figured, you know, right off the bat, he could be a rotation guy on a really good team. You know, he could be a rotation guy on a championship team. Could, could be your backup point guard. Could he be starting point guard? I, you know, I, I did not predict that. Uh, could he be the dominant guy? Did not predict that. Now, interestingly, once he keeps showing what he can do, he doesn't lose the things that he's always had in terms of his maturity of the game. He's he's still the guy that other guys want to play with. Is what I'm, I'm I'm getting at. He doesn't he doesn't just become this this you know wild player at, at all. He's still himself. What was, or I guess, what what were your maybe like fondest memories of that 2018 national championship team? And and, and maybe I'll just zoom ahead because I because I assume this is going to be one of them. I mean, what what do you remember from Dante's legendary Final Four and and particularly the national championship against Michigan? Uh, yeah, you know what I, I mean. That was 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 there watching it and. Uh, it, it, it was almost the anticlimactic nature of it, that they were just not allowing, uh, you know, Kansas or Michigan uh, to, to, to get even the slightest foothold on it. Uh, I, I put a sweat, uh, stat on Twitter during that game that uh, Villanova was up 15 and then Kansas hit five no it was a Kansas or Michigan it was Kansas uh hit five straight shots and when that was over Illinois was up 17 I mean that's how just dominant they they were so certainly uh DiVincenzo's just taking over the first half of the national championship game uh because because the memories of that team were it was always a different guy I mean it was often it was Mikhail Bridges right uh Phil Booth started on that team. Uh, Eric Paschal was a very important player on that team. Omari Spellman was a huge player on that team because he was a guy who could patrol inside, but also could go outside. So they could be like a, a five out team. And then it was Brunson really fine tuning. Like you said, he was, he was the national player of the year, this sort of Villanova guard thing of, of, taking the ball inside and posting up and then working from there. And they had all the parts. So that was completely dangerous, but it, it was almost all that more than, you know, a, a specific memory because it was so crazy dominant. Yeah. I, I think, I think to your point, I mean, just, just how modern of a team it was. And, and you think of dominance in college basketball, or at least I do. And like, you, you think of like the most loaded of Duke teams or the Anthony Davis, Kentucky, the Carl Anthony towns, Kentucky. And yet you look at 
the eventual NBA talent on that Villanova team. And even if they weren't regarded that way out of high school, right? Like, like you have Bridges and Brunson are both going to be all NBA type guys this season. Like Pascal had a cup of coffee in the league for a few years. I think Spellman got drafted. Phil Booth um, either got drafted or had like a cup of coffee in the NBA. DiVincenzo is obviously carving out a career. Archer Diacono is sticking around in the league. Like you, you can go on and on and on with these guys, but just the collective shooting and, it, and it's interesting to look at it now in the NBA is like a model for maybe what the Knicks could eventually get to under Brunson where like he he just became I would assume like completely unguardable in an offense that could be legitimately five out and and he's developed to a point where, where the Knicks had terrible spacing at times this postseason there were three four guys packing the paint and, and he was still able to do work and maybe Dante the, the goal is that he's going to help change that this year but it's just it, it, it's pretty tantalizing to think like with the Knicks maybe trying to build along that model to some extent um just like every team tries to build along the model to some ex- extent in the NBA like just how good that team could be and that, that was my main memory just that the shooting for the college level was kind of unique and, and just overwhelming it was was kind of the only word I had at the time yes I mean obviously it's such a different game in the NBA because you need to have those guys who take up some space in the offensive game side you need those guys on the defensive side to be to be you know playing with the Embiid's and Jokic of the world um so you know different game where at the NBA uh, at the college level you know having five future NBA talents on on the court at the same time remember the the 2016 team there were even a couple stories about wow look at these guys Villanova winning without NBA players and it was like these guys are going to be NBA players and and it was they were even being written after going into the next season. Amazing. They did that without these NBA players. It's like, eh, you know, they're NBA. Hold on. Wait, they're NBA players, you know? <laughs> so they just, you know, were just around college a, l- a little longer than what had become the previous norm. Remember it was just before that, that, that Duke, that Okafor team, you know, Duke had become a one and done place. So this was suddenly, I, I don't know. There was some excitement around the college world about these these guys staying around, but and and it was true. But a, a, a lot of it was because they they needed that development. I think Josh Hart would you know he might have been happy to be a one and done guy if you know the NBA tells you when they're ready to pay you, right? Yeah. All right. Um, we we can finish up on this, and and maybe this is painting with a broad brush a little bit because I'm I have not had the benefit of being around the program like you do, but. Just just watching all these guys in the NBA. I mean, I mean, all three on the Knicks, certainly Mikhail, like they just seem like above and beyond, like good people, like overachievers on and off the court, like about all the right things. And I, I wonder, like I, I, I my, my feeling is it's probably both. But like how much of that was was nature versus nurture at, at Jay Wright's Villanova? Like, was it just a combination of like, all right, I want to recruit these types of guys. And I guess, how are those qualities then fostered under right? And, and in a program that I, I think to circle back to the beginning of our conversation, maybe when Nova got away from that a little bit is, is, is when they struggled, like, like initially with those Kyle Lowry teams, like thrived on, on those very qualities. Yeah. I, I think there are these demands put on Villanova players that, I mean, if you're not a professional as a college player, uh, you're going to struggle. I mean, Jay Wright, you know, people see the suits, you know, the George Clooney look, um, you know, CBS and, and 
uh, all the Turner viewers got to hear, you know, his, his, his mind that we heard a lot of post game press conference, but he's, he's, he's as crazy as the rest of them. And it's tough to play for very tough to play for. And his vocabulary was different in a practice gym. Right. Um, so those guys had to be able to, to take it. And these were the guys who could and could take it and grow from it. Um, so I, you know, nature versus nurture. I think there was plenty of nature. I don't think those guys came in as one person and left as an, as another person. Um, so the recruiting element was just, you know, huge to find what we've seen those guys bring. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's pretty clear why, uh, right off the bat, I mean, obviously with Jalen, there's a pre-existing relationship, but those, him and Josh were uh, Tibbs guys. And I, I, I could see Dante fitting right into that pretty easily. But uh, Mike, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for all the time. Um, before I let you go, can you tell everyone where, where they can find all your great work? Uh, sure. Inquirer.com, Jensen off campus on Twitter, if that still exists by tomorrow. And, and uh, you know, that's that's pretty much it. Thanks for having me, Gavin. Yeah. Enjoy. I, it's it's on X now, Mike. We're all. We're all yeah, we're yeah, all, yeah, 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 yeah. We're all. To you, to you. It's not not to me either. I don't I don't really like it. But anyways, neither here nor there. Uh, Mike Jensen, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for everyone who tuned in. We'll talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks.